Welcome to Today on Broadway for Wednesday, February 21st, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. Now, this is more like it, James. This You're is the day angry? where there were... No, not yet. Maybe we'll get to something later. I don't know. Um, but no, this is more like it. There's a lot of news that came out yesterday. Lots. So plenty for us to talk about, not random things just, you know, to frustrate me and get me upset. But yes, plenty of good news to talk about yesterday. Well, let's start off with it. The Manhattan Theater Club and stars to this spring's St. Joan. Yeah, this was already a show that I was bummed to be missing this spring uh, when I'm in town because it actually starts previews after I'm gone. But when they announced the men that will be joining Tony nominee Condola Rashad and MTC's production of George Bernard Shaw's St. Joan this spring, I became very depressed, not angry. Just depressed, just depressed. Uh, joining the cast will be Tony-winning director Walter Bobby in his first Broadway role since, play, since playing Nicely Nicely Johnson in the amazing 1992 revival of Guys and Dolls. But that's not even close to being all. Also in the company will be Adam Chandler Barrett, Jack Don't Call Me Derek Wells Davenport, John Glover, Patrick Page, Daniel Sunjata, who's one of my favorites, and more. James, this is one heck of a cast. Directed by Daniel Sullivan, the show will begin previews at the Samuel J. Friedman Theater on Broadway on April 3rd with an official opening on the 25th. This is already going to be uh, an incredibly crowded season for play revivals, James. But that cast certainly shot up my interest in it and potentially even the award status and maybe even box office of this show, because this is a uh, a heck of a cast that seems to have a little bit of something for everybody. Yeah, that sounds that's quite a cast. And as you're reading it off, it occurred to me that we lost track of Hadestown. So I guess that there's no Hadestown this year. Well, this is coming in in the spring, and it's a limited run from MTC. So I would imagine that last I heard, Hadestown is still plugging away for the fall. Last I heard, also, it is not angling for um, the Circle and the Square Theater to do it in the round as, as it was originally done off-Broadway. They like the changes that they made up in Canada. Um, and they are looking for a smaller proscenium theater. So, um, yeah, Patrick Page, after doing this, will certainly have time to reprise his role as Mr. Hades uh, if the show does come in in the fall, which I'm hoping I'm knocking on wood that it does. All right. Next up in the news, it's official. Torch Song is coming back to to Broadway this fall. Yeah, James, uh, speaking of play revivals on Broadway, it was confirmed yesterday what you expected from the moment you got out of the theater off Broadway. Uh, that second stage will be bringing its off Broadway hit Torch Song to its new Broadway house, the Hayes Theater, this fall. I think you texted me as soon as the show was over and said, this one's coming to Broadway at some point. The reworked version of Harvey Firestein's Torch Song trilogy will come with at least two of its stars that were named in this press release yesterday, Michael Urey and Tony and Oscar winner Mercedes Rule, when it opens for a limited engagement on Broadway on November 1st of this year. Tickets will go on sale for Amex members on Friday, then audience rewards members on March 2nd, before the general public will have its chance beginning on March 10th at 10 a.m. New York time. Now, James, one thing that we found interesting about this announcement that we talked about before is that the press release said that producer Richie Jackson will bring Second Stage's production of the show to Broadway. Now, this is interesting for two reasons. 
One, nowhere is second stage listed as a producer for the Broadway run of the show. And two, Richie Jackson is the husband of Drew Jameson president Jordan Roth. Now, Jackson is no neophyte to producing. Most notably, he was the executive producer on Nurse Jackie, which ran on Showtime from 2009 to 2015. On Broadway, his only other producing credit was for the short-lived yet wildly underrated A Catered Affair. That's one of my favorite cast albums, which coincidentally also featured a book by Firestein, who also co-starred in that one. Drew Jamson, coincidentally or not, is also listed as a producer with Torch Song, James. Um, and this is not the only time that it, we've talked about Drew Jamson is partnering to bring shows into other landlords' houses. It seems that they're doing this a little bit more often. They're doing it with Head Over Heels. Um, I feel like there was one more that I'm forgetting last season, but it seems like Jordan, whether or not his husband is producing, is expanding their productions outside of just the Broadway venues that they own. That's a, a very different business model for theater owners, but it's mm -hmm. uh, welcome. That's uh, That's always good stuff. Jordan breaking the mold, which is a, a good thing because sometimes you need to shake it up a little bit. Yeah, sometimes you need to produce shows in other people's houses. Sometimes you need to do an animated YouTube show talking about the uh, private size of uh, our current sitting president. You know, just shake it up. Shaking it up. Speaking of shaking it up, how was last week's Broadway grosses? Well, the President's Day holiday weekend certainly helped things at the box office, James, with the addition of Escape to Margaritaville's two performances, just did two on Friday and Saturday. Every show on Broadway except for one saw week-to-week -week gains. The only show that didn't see an improvement was Waitress, which had to contend both with the first post-Jason Mraz week and a sick Sarah Bareilles who had to miss a couple of performances, so it's not a surprise that they dropped a little bit in the grosses, but every other show saw numbers in the black. The four biggest gainers for the holiday weekend were some of the tried and true family shows, Wicked, School of Rock, Aladdin, and The Lion King, ranging from 305000 for Simba and Company to 507000 for Elfie and Galinda with a G. And even with the changes uh, with its stars going on, Waitress was still able to cross over the seven figures mark. Overall, Broadway brought in $26,335,000 $5,058 for a 19.6% increase over the previous week. Hamilton stayed above $3 million at $3.09 million. Then it was followed by The Lion King at 2.03, Wicked at 1.82, Dear Evan Hansen at 1.79, and Aladdin at $1.5 million. They were followed above $1 million by Come From Away, The Book of Mormon, The Aforementioned Waitress, Anastasia, The Phantom of the Opera, and Hello, Dolly!, with with Bernadette Peters up above seven figures. And Dear Evan Hansen led the way in terms of gross potential all the way up at 125.7% of its gross. Um, pretty incredible. That was the only one above, I think, about 105%. So pretty impressive. The play that goes wrong was the lowest grosser last week at $377,776. And The Parisian Woman was the only show below 50% of gross potential at 46.7%. 
Now, SpongeBob SquarePants was another show that benefited from the holiday weekend. And as we talked about before, it probably needs these tourists to get back in town to start getting its its weekly haul up around its uh, its nut. Um, it picked up almost $224,000 to break the 800K mark. Once on this island, also saw an increased, much more modest one, but did see an increase to $534,474. Bucks. In its first two preview performances, Escape to Margaritaville grossed close to $397,000, but it probably did something close to that just in margaritas alone, because yesterday the New York Daily News reported that the Marquee Theater ran out of triple sec over the weekend and therefore had to cut off margarita sales. The number of alcohol sales far exceeded what they had anticipated. I've James, I've I've had to tell parrot heads that it was last call before, so I can only imagine how disappointed that was uh, for that was for a lot of uh, theater goers and how frightening it must have been for a lot of bartenders over at the marquee. So while these numbers uh, won't necessarily get huge again until spring breaks start in a month or a month and a half um, with new shows beginning previews, as we are now. More or less, we're through the roughest parts of the Broadway box office schedule, James. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up the Daily News story. I was going to bring it up if you did. <laughs> if you didn't, <laughs> it has wait. You know, waitress might have run out of pies when I was there, but uh... <laughs> yeah, well, especially if they were all a mode. Oh no, no kidding. But need, <laughs> but I mean, you need the vanilla ice cream on the side if it's heated. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah, I mean, like, if if they would have asked me if if my friend uh, Oliver Henry Roth, who's one of the producers on the show, would have called me and said, "Hey, Matt, do parrot heads drink a lot?" I I would have told him from experience, just fill the entire hotel next door with alcohol. You're going to need it. <laughs> All right. So uh, the grosses <laughs> have started an uptick there. That's really good to see. All right. What do we have in the show and casting news? Well, James, yesterday, a number of off-Broadway shows extended their runs. First, the Cruel Intentions musical did so for the third and final time. And I am happy to report that after it was supposed to uh, have just a 10-week run beginning last November 17th, that the show will now be on sale through April 8th at La Poison Rouge, and you're darn skippy that that means I got some premium secret society tickets for my trip next month. James, you know I've been hoping that this one would extend long enough for me to see it. So I'm very, very happy that I'm finally going to get to see Cruel Intentions, the musical. The show also announced that due to interest from presenters around the country, the show is planning a national tour to launch this fall. I doubt this is going to be a part of your Broadway series at your big 2000 seat theaters around the country, but playing some smaller venues, maybe even some some more cabaret bar performance spaces uh, could be a really cool thing for this show, considering that's how it started at the Rock uh, Rockwell Music Hall out in Los Angeles. Also announcing an extension yesterday is a show that I actually already have tickets to, and that's the Public Theater's world premiere production of Sarah Burgess's Kings, which we talked about earlier in the week with Natalie. The show directed by Tommy Kale and starring Gillian Jacobs, Aya Cash, and Zach Grenier and more will now play an extra week through Sunday, April 1st. The show officially opened last night and we will give you some reviews on tomorrow's show. Then the final show that extended yesterday is the new group's world premiere of David Rabe's play Good for Otto, starring Ed Harris, F. Murray Abraham, Mark Lynn Baker, Amy Madigan, Rhea Perlman, and more. The show will now play through April 8th at the Pershing Square Signature Center. Good for 
Auto is scheduled to officially open on March 8th. And finally, in this section, James, yesterday, the producers of the band's visit announced that they would play a special actors uh, actors fund benefit performance this Sunday, February 25th. Tickets at various levels are available now at actorsfund.org slash the band's visit. And of course, we will have a link to that page in the show notes at broadwayradio.com if you don't want to remember that very, very complicated URL. <laughs> All right. I, I, I misread this next one. I, I thought that David Letterman was coming back to Broadway because it said Worldwide Pants. No, no, no. But, it says world, Worldwide Plans. Yes, Worldwide. worldwide. <laughs> I'll tell you, Letterman's show on Netflix, Netflix is fantastic. Oh, it's not the same, it. but it oh. is really, really good. Yeah. So uh, what, what's it called? The the uh, the interview? The uh, what's it? Uh, uh, my next guest needs no introduction. Mike. Next guest needs new introduction. The first or one something with Ob- like that. The, yeah, the f- yeah. first one with Obama was so then good. Clooney. And then yeah, Clooney. I, that's a definite recommend if you uh, if you have a, a moment and you have Netflix, uh, you watch watch the uh, Letterman thing. Anyway, the next story is worldwide plans emerge for Great <laughs> Comet's future. I, I'll t- I'll tell you though. If Mandy Patinkin wasn't going to do it, David Letterman would have been a great Pierre. But anyway, never mind. That's a whole other story. Um, I, as I've talked about before, I, for one, was hoping that Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 would tour since I didn't get to see it on Broadway. Um, Obviously, that was going to be a difficult thing because of its unusual setup, especially in the Broadway incarnation that required a lot of build out into the Imperial Theater. Well, it looks now like that tour is not going to happen, but instead the show's producers are going to focus on various international and regional productions of the show. According to Variety, multiple multiple productions are in the works, including one in Tokyo, which I believe we've talked about before, um, that is going to open in 2019. There's also a sit-down run currently being planned for a U.S. city as well as a run in London and other countries currently being prepped for productions are China and the Philippines. The Japanese production will actually be done in Japanese, and they already have a star attached who's one of the biggest uh, stage stars in the country. Um, The Japanese production will be staged at the Tokyo Metropolitan Theater, which is a proscenium theater with less than 850 seats. So they're going to um, be sticking with kind of the Broadway setup. I don't know how much of a build out they're going to do, but if the show is successful in Tokyo, they might bring it back as an annually reoccurring thing. Multiple sit down productions are also being planned across the U S beginning early next year. Now, James, I think because of the unique construct of this show and construction of this show, this actually makes more sense both artistically and probably financially for the Kagans and the other producers than doing a national tour and trying to fit a round peg into a square hole that is a traditional touring Broadway house. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you just have to think differently about, about the way to do these things because certainly you're not going to be able to reconfigure all those, all those things, which was mm-hmm. such a, uh, integral part of the uh, the productions off Broadway and off off Broadway and eventually on Broadway. All right, next up, uh, Actors Equity releases the best cities for live theater. Aren't you lucky? Heavy sigh. He- he- like <laughs> in 
in little brackets, you have heavy sigh there. Yeah, yesterday, Actors Equity Association released a study that looked at never-before-seen data of the number of professional actors represented by equity employed in major cities across the U.S. and the number of weeks worked to establish a ranking of the nation's most vibrant theater communities. Now, let me tell you, James, what they actually measured and what they say they measured could not be farther from what they actually are. Uh, or they, those two things don't really match up. So what they did is they looked at the large major cities in the country, compared how many equity equity members they had in that area, and then how many um, working weeks they reported. And they then decided that what that meant was the community with the highest average of weeks worked meant that the theater community must be really vibrant. Well, James, the uh, the community with the most working weeks per equity member was Central Florida. Um, we have 994 total actors equity members here in Central Florida, and they worked an average of 17 weeks per year. Now, what I'm going to tell you is I would guess that for the most part, not even 10 of those hours were actually done in theatrical performances. Instead, most of those were done at Disney um, and maybe Universal. You, I, I think Universal for things um, like some of their uh, some of their stage shows do use equity members. But Disney has specific contracts with equity um, to have a lot of their members be or a lot of their performers be equity members. So I feel like the correlation between what they they are using in the data does not tell the story that they say they told some of the other theaters that are high up on the list include um philadelphia which has nearly 1200 people uh, that are equity members as well as washington dc which has 1194 total equity members and had 16.9 working weeks per member you also have places um like minneapolis st paul which has a smaller total number of members but has over 12 and a quarter weeks working obviously with great theaters um, up there, like the uh, the Ordway and the Guthrie, uh, Milwaukee and Madison has eleven. New Orleans, St. Louis is another great one. Um, so, James, I just I just feel like I'm very happy that there's a ton of equity members working here in Orlando, but to equate that to it being a vibrant theater community is not. It's just not true. I love the local theaters here. I support them all the time. I go see shows all the time. But comparing it with other places where I've lived, like Chicago and Atlanta and even Columbus, Ohio, the theater community is lacking significantly, mainly because there's so much great talent here, but they're working a day job where they're performing. So they don't feel the need to go out and do shows at night. So um, I appreciate this study from Equity, but I don't actually feel like it tells the story that they say it tells. Benjamin Disraeli says there are three kinds of lies. Lies, damned lies, and statistics. Is that really a Disraeli quote? I feel like we've been attributing quotes to the wrong people all week, so you could could have been making that up. That could have been Steve Jobs for all I know. I think Michael Jordan said that. (laughs) Either him or Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, why don't you get us out of here? All right, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter at BWWMAT and subscribe to Something Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. I will not be here tomorrow. You will be in the capable hands of not only James Marino, but Julie Musback as well. 
Oh, the Julie Show is back. And my name is James Reno from BroadwayVideo.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for uh, spending some of your Wednesday with us. And Julie and I will be back to talk with you tomorrow.